Hello. Welcome to the Call Like I See It podcast. I'm James Keyes, and in this episode of Call Like I See It, we're going to react to a recent piece from The Atlantic that considers the outer limits of liberalism and raises a specific example that may be a little straw man-ish, but to, dis- to raises that example to discuss whether the idea of preserving individual liberty can be taken too far. And later on, as we observe Juneteenth, we're going to consider whether, quote, anti-wokeness is something that is inherently anti-Black history in light of what we know about America's past treatment of Black Americans. Joining me today is a man who is happy to let us all enjoy the light, as long as we remember that he's the sun. Tunde Ogunlana. Tunde, you ready to shine some light on us today? See, that's what makes you a great friend. You always, <laughs> you always know how to introduce me. He's the sun. I can't even, I'm not even going to comment. It might ruin this beautiful brightness you got shining all over me. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's yeah, good. Just keep us moving before I screw it up. <laughs> now we're recording this on june 19th 2023 and this week we saw a very interesting think piece in the atlantic by david brooks in it brooks takes a look at canada's assisted suicide law and uses that as an example of when liberalism which despite how it's been framed you know in the united states in the last 30 or 40 years as an insult by right-wing americans is essentially an ideology dedicated to preserving individual liberty and seeking equality under the law. But when that goes too far is essentially what this, this piece from the Atlantic is about. Now, you, you can see as you follow through the, the, the article and even maybe bef- just hearing what I'm saying, you can see the logic that he follows. And, you know, that if, if you preserve and protect individual liberty to the extreme, to the end, then you may be indifferent at best to preventing circumstances where someone decides to end their own life. But there's also some straw man to that. But nonetheless, the concept of ideological extremes versus balance in terms of how we operate our societies is something that's always good to revisit. So to get us started, Tunday, what stood out to you most in the article? Man, it was a great article. I think what stood out to me the most was just the concept of liberalism as a political philosophy and how much it really overlaps basically not only the founding documents of our nation, but kind of the founding spirit and our culture. And I think you already said it, which which I know we'll get into it a little bit more, kind of this explaining some of these definitions, because you're right, the word liberal over the last probably 50 years and more so the last 30 years has become more of a pejorative in the American dialogue. And I think that for the purpose of this conversation, let's be clear that we're going to separate the idea of a liberal political ph- philosophy, which is seen around the world. And we'll, we'll get into all that. Which versus, is a real thing. Yeah. yeah. Versus the American political culture of, let's say, either the American left or the American progressive left, you know, however one wants to define it. And I think what you just said is accurate is that um, from a political discourse standpoint, the word liberal has been lumped together um, and 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 kind of to many people in America means one thing. But here what we're talking about is the philosophy of liberal governments and how to organize a society. And I well, think not, that's but the bigger- I, I think that's that would be oversimplifying it, though, because you would still say if you're talking about a liberal 
ideology that what is the, the, the pejorative liberals in the United States, they are doing stuff in large part that draws the ire of people, but in the context of pursuing more individual liberty, people can do what they want to do. They don't have to adhere to, to these certain norms or, you know, things that this is just how we do these things or that people need to be treated equally and stuff like that. So I don't think you can separate it. And I don't think it's all about the, the uh, you know, like the, the organization of the government. There's the ideology which forms the basis of how you're going to kind of say, okay, well, here are the rules. Here are the things the government's going to get involved in. Here's not. Now, where you, I do think you get more separation is at its core. Like, if you want to look at it from the American political kind of definition, libertarian, libertarian is also one who is an extreme individual liberty person as well. Um, and, but in their context, it, it's the government does even less, you know, the government does less and the, the kind of American, uh, left context, it's like, well, let's use the government to pursue these means that we consider to be towards individual liberty and equality, you know, amongst society. Yeah. I think, well, let's expound on it too, because I think this is where the confusion in the American culture of discourse as relates to this topic, I think plays out because in even preparing for today, one of the things, that's what I mean. It, it, it was, it was, um, surprising and not in a bad way, just, just to, for me to be reminded that all the founding documents of our country from the first amendment bill of rights, thing, or sorry, all the amendment constitutional amendments, plus the constitution itself, plus the bill of rights, um, are all liberal ideals, right? And again, we'll talk, I know we'll get into this in this discussion as to where the world was when this country was formed and why these ideals uh, were so precious to the founding fathers. But again, like reading and preparing for today made me appreciate that you can have both conservative and liberal views and, and you can have a very healthy conservative um, political uh, ideology within the framework of a liberal government and a liberal society let's put it that way like you're saying the the philosophy of a liberal of liberalism yeah as opposed to and i think that's where we lose this discussion in the united states in terms of our culture because liberal liberalism as a philo philosophical thought for a for a nation let's say was developed out of the repressiveness of medieval into renaissance of the world yeah <laughs> the entire yeah, history yeah, of yeah that and you know, um all and, the and, all the, the hereditary you know the monarchies the kings the yeah. theocracies that you know operated as far as you know with using religious figures and so forth yeah the whole history of the world is one way and then well, liberalism springs out of that and says okay let's have individuals you know, can be can can be self determining, and the yeah. government's not. There's not going to be necessarily in in a way where we don't treat people or don't allow people. You know, if you if you create stuff, you get to keep it. You get to build on it. You know, we want to do competition and not, uh, you know, just patronage. You know, from you know from from important quote unquote important people with the government. And yeah, yeah I mean, I think that when you're looking at it in that way. Well, let me let me finish okay. where I was going because I think that's where we get it confused in the United States because and you and you you are going there, right? Yeah, Is I'm about to make that, the point. Yeah. That um that in the context of a liberal philosophy in terms of how to organize a society, the alternative is authoritarianism, um, you know, patriarchy and and kind of the 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 idea of inherited wealth and inherited power. 
Yeah. Um, and so that's why it, it just intrigues me, like you said, that the idea of individual rights and freedoms for me in, as an American in 2023, that sounds like a very, you know, I've been conditioned to believe that liberals don't believe that in America. You see what I'm saying? And well, so that, that's, where, that's, it's where, just and that's where it gets confusing if you're somebody in the United States, because yeah, exactly. like I'll say that's, this, and this is a totally uncontroversial statement from an intellectual standpoint, but it'll sound controversial, is the United States is a liberal nation. Its government is a liberal government. Now, interestingly enough, I, to me, is that what we have in the United States, what the, U the U.S. Constitution sets up is a liberal government, but whose mechanisms and whose operations is very conservative. Conservative, if you go back from a historical standpoint, isn't really, really an ideology. That's an approach. An approach saying, okay, let's not, every time we think there's something that needs to be done, let's not just rip up everything we're doing and then lurch from one to some, from one thing to something else. Let's be a little more measured in how we approach change and approach things that need to be done. Not saying that, that things never need to be done, but it just, it's a little more status quo bias. So the fact that we have three uh, branches of government is very conservative in the sense that you know, and with, excuse me, three branches of government with checks and balances on each other, because it's not easy for just one person to get in and say, okay, we're going to do everything like this now. You know, there's, there's all these checks and balances on each branch of the government. Each branch checks the other branches and so forth. And so it makes things move slow a lot of times when change is needed. You know, if, if you're, you're, you're filling the planet up with greenhouse gas, you know, it makes it difficult to, to, to make changes. But that is our preferred, you know, as, as Americans, that's our preferred approach as opposed to having us lurching back and forth and everything like that. And so liberalism and, and the, the liberalism in terms of the framework of the government, meaning there's no uh, mo monarchy who is going to just rule over everybody. Church and state are expressly separated. So religious law or religious doctrine doesn't govern us in a way that is that, that is going to restrict on your liberty and so forth, at least not supposed to based on the Constitution. That's the liberal stuff. And the conservative stuff is the president can't just say, okay, everybody, you guys all have to, you have to, everybody pay me taxes. You know, I'm just going to go, you know, and, and, and do what I want to do. It's like, no, no, no. Congress can check you if you're the president or the, or the Supreme Court, you know, is the one who says what the law says and so forth. Congress can't just go and do what it wants to do either because there's checks and balances. So that's something that's lost because a lot of times we don't, we don't do civics. And then people a lot of times get caught so emotionally caught up in these titles that what they are, we kind of lose who we are as Americans. And I think some of that's intentional. Yeah. I do want to mention well, one thing real quick, you know, about like what stood out to me most in the article. And I know I, I did gave that that kind of background, but I do want to mention the in the article because he's looking at assisted suicide. And I do, I I, I think it was an interesting uh example to look at and say, hey, this is where liberalism can go too far. Because yeah, if individuals have the liberty to choose how they want to live. Conceivably, they have the they have the liberty to choose how they want to die and when they want to die and so forth. And so it really it's this this there's the inherent tension between individual liberty, which one key about individual liberty that you got to mention is that you're free to do those things to the extent you don't infringe somebody else's liberty, which deciding to kill yours, you know, deciding to to assisted suicide stuff doesn't. That's not you hurting someone else. That's not you deciding, you know, that you're going to go driving a car into a crowd of people, you know. So it's an interesting example from that standpoint. And it's an example that's been used throughout time, but we have a specific in Canada right now where they're doing it. So I thought that the way that that was brought in as it was a good way to have a conversation about these, how the, how you balance the idea of pushing for individual liberty versus 
okay, well, do we want a society where people can do this? Well, if we do, then we got to make sure we're okay with this is how it's not going to happen and so forth. So I thought it the the example you gave allowed a lot of questions to be asked about your own individual, like me, myself. I can ask questions about myself. What is my individual kind of view on these things? Yeah. No, I mean, that's these are the kind of questions I think that um, almost in some ways are spiritual or religious in nature, right? Like, 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 yeah, am I allowed to just kill my, like you're saying, because this isn't like me just jumping off a bridge or, or, or taking a bunch of pills, right? This is me going to a hospital and saying, I want to die. And then other people have to decide, am I, um, am I, am I worthy of, of, of taking my own life or not? You know, the system has to, has to have some input. And so I and think Canada and is, recently passed a law that recently within the last 10 years or so that clears the path for people to do that, you know, and, and so forth. And then, and the concern that's being raised is like, well, hold on, you know, healthcare is expensive. So, you know, are we going to have doctors or, or, you know, medical personnel kind of explaining people to think or explaining things to people in a way that would lead them to conclude, well, I should probably just take my own life then, you know, in a sense that, that may be, be like the, in, in a way to engineer outcomes for well, the, here's the thing which the is which is interesting because we've talked about this where if, if extremes on let's say both left and right end up meeting themselves in the middle again and this is was a reminder to me of that in several ways one is i thought like you said it was a good example to bring in this canadian law because the law was passed in 2016 and it was very restrictive to people that basically were at end of life type of stages and, and, you know, dealing with chronic pain and chronic, basically miserable. And they said by 2021, uh, the Canadian, um, Supreme Court had already uh, made some changes and took out the idea of terminal illness as one of the causes that, that can lead someone to, to be able to say that they, they can just have their life ended by the medical system. The, the the article brings up exactly what you just said, which I thought was interesting, and I'll, and I'll share. It says, um, uh, once the equal and infinite dignity of all human life is compromised, everything is up for grabs. Um, and it talks about um, ideas like suggesting that babies with severe deformations and limited chance of survival be eligible for medically assisted death. Suddenly, people who are ill or infirm are implicitly encouraged to feel guilty wanting to live. And what I felt was this led me back to eugenics. Think about that. Yeah. Remember when we did the show on eugenics, that's how it started. It started about just the infirm, kind of the mentally disabled. You want to, you know, people, they, they wanted to sterilize people that were lesser than, right? And that led in a less than a century to the Holocaust and to Nazi Germany. And it, and it, it because it kept getting more and more extreme. And then it was like, okay, well, this whole group of people is 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 unfit. So we're just gonna like exterminate them basically. And I think that that's that's almost like a natural abstract of if you start going down this road. And I just found that interesting. I had never seen that no, kind that's, of connection. Well, think yeah. about it like this. It, it is, it it's the inevitability aspect of that if you're saying if if you're going to go this route and say, okay, government's going to authorize assisted suicide under the context of individual liberty, you, it is foreseeable that some of the restrictions that were initially put on it would be taken off because those restrictions by themselves are, or in themselves, are the restrictions on the liberty. Yeah, you know, exactly. so you're you kind of you're trying to put those protections in, and this is where you get into the balance 
that's required when you look at things like this. And that why, why, like I said, for me, there's a very introspective aspect of looking at something like this because it's like, okay, yeah, like what do I think about this? Because I can see definitely both sides, uh, meaning both sides are coming at it from not one side that just mad at the other side, but both sides coming at this in good faith, trying to figure out, well, where should the line be? Or should we yeah. go down? Is it too risky to go down this path? Because once we start going down this path, the inevitability is going to lead us to a place that we don't want to be in. So in a sense, we have to cut off a, a, a route that otherwise would be open so that we don't end up in a place that's too risky. And hence, you know, did drunk driving, so to speak, you know, like yeah. drunk driving in itself it's not a guarantee to get in an accident, but we've decided that it puts you on a path where there's a heightened risk that we're just not willing to accept as a society, you know? And so, but the other piece about this that you have to tie in is that Canada has, you know, a government paid healthcare system, a social healthcare system. And so, yes, you can see how there'd be quote unquote social pressure. Like, oh, if you're not going to make it, then, you know, how much, how much longer are you going to be a quote unquote drain on the system? You know, and so there gets into this optimized thinking, which isn't necessarily a humane way to look at things all the time. If you want to if you want to look at everything from an optimized standpoint, that actually ends up bending against liberalism. At its, and this is where you talk about when you take things to the extreme, they end up circling back around because it's like, oh, well, then if we're going to try to optimize everything, then only people with the best chance of survival should be able to 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 do X, Y and Z or only yeah. the, the kids that you know, are the brightest should get the best food if, if we're ever in a shortage. Like you start going with very illiberal ideals when you start start trying to optimize everything, which, you know, while eugenics was based on very rudimentary understanding of things, that was kind of what they were doing in a sense, at least the people, again, approaching in good faith, were trying to optimize it, so to speak. So but the I context think also, let, let me jump in there, because yeah. I think this is where authoritarian mindsets hijack the freedoms within, let's say, a liberal society, because you're right about that. Like eugenics is a good example where, you know, it this this kind of this going down this road. And, and I feel like this about, you know, a lot of other topics we can say both domestically here in the US and, and just in other countries when, you, when we observe other cultures is somebody forgot to tell at some point the people who were um, uh, promoting eugenics and, and, and basically putting their doctrine on others that those other people also deserve freedom, right? And freedom yeah. of choice and freedom to be not harassed and be sterilized on 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 voluntarily and all that kind of stuff, right? And so and so that's where I think that's why both the extremes on any political kind of direction begin to mirror well, each other because it all really is authoritarian versus well it it, it there's a there is a change though. There or there is a break point though when it goes from being liberty to being either manipulation or persuasion yeah. to being to then being compulsion. And so we can't just dismiss those things but the concern being is that once you make once you make certain things about liberty then human beings are still human beings. Then what you're going to end up having is there starts being like it, you make it about liberty and this is what they're seeing in Canada it starts becoming a little bit more about you know persuasion than just yeah. liberty. And and that well, at least that's what they're they're observing in limited cases. That's not to say that that's happening all the time, but you you open the door for that persuasion to start happening. And then once you open the door for that persuasion to start happening, you might open the door for the the compulsion to start happening. And so it's a, it's a it it's not a slippery slope, but it is a pathway that can yeah. that, that can be opened up, like you said, by people who have a more 
um, authoritarian mindset and mindset in a lot of ways. And so, well, but I, my you know, question is this for you. Yeah. Do you, do you agree that liberalism, you know, as, as you know, the belief and the push for greater individual liberty had, and you know, I probably know the answer to this, but has an eventuality that many people would be uncomfortable with more in the abstract. Yes. I mean, of course, that's part of this discussion, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think like, like we're kind of talking to anything taken to it is, ex sorry, anything taken to its extreme probably not that comfortable for most people. And so I think, yes, I think obviously if everybody was allowed to do whatever they wanted with no guardrails, it would be like the movie Purge forever, right? Um, you'd have disorder, potentially chaos, and a feeling of uncertainty amongst a large part of the population. And, you know, human beings, you know, want comfort, right? In a certain, I don't mean comfort like making you lazy. I just mean, we like kind of an idea of knowing what to expect in a, in a greater society in certain ways. And so once you have too much disorder and chaos, you know, it becomes scary. And then you have that cycle, you know, people crave order, not disorder. And it goes back to the whole, you know, the empire versus the rebellion in, in Star Wars. Um, because, and, and again, both have their, their, um, their pluses and minuses, right? Order might suck sometimes because you're not free to do what you want, but you don't have to think too much. And a lot of things can be done for you. And some people like that better. Other people. I think want that's a better way to put it is that some yeah. people in general, and this is something that is known yeah, just, from a psychological standpoint, is some people are more biased in terms of what they're comfortable in, in a more order society and a more uh, a society where the group unit is considered over the individual and so therefore everybody has to fit into a certain order to fit into the group whereas other people are more comfortable in societies where the individual unit is more considered and things that may make the group uncomfortable are something that it, the group just has to deal with so to speak because the individual gets to determine their own yeah uh you know their own kind of and approach. you know as as i was thinking about answering this question a couple of recent kind of just cultural topics came to mind one is for example like transgender right the idea that that is something new and you know in one way are uh, we live in a society that offers rights to every citizen so people who choose to go become transgender deserve the same rights you and i have on another um, phase, a lot of other people that are nervous or intimidated by it are worried that it is going to create it because it's uncertain, right? It's something new. And then I thought about, you know, the civil rights era of the 60s. There were there was a certain order, and that order a lot of Americans were comfortable with. A minority of Americans, primarily black Americans, were uncomfortable with it because they lived in chaos and uncertainty in a lot of areas of the country where they were, you know, open to be harmed and, and treated uh, legally as second class citizens. So you had a tension there. And again, the country kind of figured it out, right? It's not not saying it was easy, but but we got over that hump and allowed more equality to, to kind of to kind of fester. So it's interesting. And then the last one, which I know we joked privately, was like this, this, this um, Canadian uh, piece in the article about the um, the assisted deaths. You know, when I told you in a private conversation about the service dogs, how service dogs have been legal and for people with physical disabilities like blindness uh, our whole lives. But somewhere in the last 10, 20 years, it became for people with emotional 
disability, you know, kind of the emotional distress, which is harder to, or to it because just just because you want to, just because yeah. it's individual liberty. And, and so, that raises a whole like you have people out here with with uh severe allergies, you know. I got a yeah. I got a, a, a nephew who's allergic to dogs. And it's like, well, hold on, like how how is he supposed to get around? And or remember, I, I brought this up because I saw a lady with her dog in the produce section of of the uh of the grocery yeah. store near my house and is sniffing all the food. And I own two dogs. I love my dogs. But yeah. again, I thought about how come you can't leave your dog in a car? Like, like have that's what I mean by when home. you allow people too much <laughs> but, freedom. No, this is what happens is a lot of people will forget to think about their fellow man and say, well, maybe other people aren't comfortable with something like this. And and they kind of lose a certain etiquette. Well, the etiquette is a good way. That's a good word for it, because the individual liberty is not supposed to go overstep other people's individual liberty. Correct. And so essentially that person becomes, becomes instead of being a person who's exercising their own individual liberty, not to the detriment of someone else, they then disregard other people's individual liberty for themselves. And so you end up in a situation like that. And you know, that's why you have norms. That's why you have etiquette a lot of times. That's why you have quote unquote political correctness where we all still have to be here. You know, there, there is a certain amount of liberty that we all can exercise. But once you exercise it too far, you are getting into where you encroach on other people's uh, liberty. And so to me, I think the, I, my examples are a little kind of a little more what you see in today's society. Like for like I said, libertarians are almost an extreme version of that liberalism, you know, so individual liberty above all. And so in their mind and in many people's minds, well, if you go to the, to the core of liberalism, there's no social safety net. If somebody decides to spend all their money on blank, you fill in the blank and they don't have any food, then that person dies in the street. You know, now that as a society, that's not something that I want to be in a society that does that. You know, I want to be in a society that has some kind of, of safety net and compassion for people who do that. You don't have to be perfect. You know, like you can make mistakes and society can catch people if you to some degree, you know, like obviously you can't save everybody, but there's at least mechanisms in place that we don't just let people go, you know, completely. Like if, if, if there's a slip up. So I think there are definitely places where that goes, but I do actually think it's important to distinguish the conversation from liberalism that infringes other people's liberalism, liberalism that goes to an extent, to the extent that it infringes others versus liberalism that just makes you uncomfortable because you like the existing order. I think those yeah. are two different things and we have to be very careful separating those two. And I, I mean, you brought up the trans thing. I think that, that, that there's an ex interesting example there that I find in looking at that situation. And again, I'm, I'm good with, I think everybody should have rights under society, equal protection under the law and so forth. And so the, the, it's interesting to me when I see efforts to, to deny trans people certain rights, particularly adults, certain rights, you know, consenting adults or adults in general have certain rights under society that they, they, they then any trans person should have those rights as well. But my question oftentimes in, on a different issue, whether or not if, if trans can, tr people can, can, uh, compete in sports with a chosen gender that's not necessarily their biological gender, does that infringe on the liberty of other people? You know, particularly with women's sports, you know, is that an issue yeah. where, well, hold on. No, they, that's a I, fair question. And I think that's what we're in the process of the culture. That's right? what culturally yeah. we're figuring, figuring that out, out now. Yeah. But I, I think that you can't, it can't go to some extent where you're not even considering whether you're, you're infringing on someone else's liberty in that sense. And so, and sometimes I think that needs to be added into that conversation. It's that, not a yeah, question of. That's where the extremes meet each other, you know, because someone who's extreme, that's, that's saying that we shouldn't be concerned about 
the non-transgender, let's just go back into the women's sports thing to make it specific. A, 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 a natural born female competing with a male who's chosen to, to basically say, I, 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 I identify as a female. I think someone who supports the trans rights, but can't appreciate that dilemma is just as bad as someone who is saying, I don't think trans people should have any rights. Like to me, they're both just as equal. Well, they're both equally, seeking to impose their, their uh, view on, too on everybody else. Yeah, they're, they're, they're too rigid. And they that's both, the, to me, it's the same thing in a sense. I, I don't necessarily though. equate the two, but I do think that, you know, you I, I think I, I caution against going in that direction, basically, where you can't, where your analysis only looks at one side of the equation, you know, yeah. like particularly in a situation like the women's sports is a good example, because if you want to do like go and look at tr Jim Crow laws, like those were created to oppress, you know, like so we can look at those with a level of skepticism that I don't think you can look at women's sports with a level of skepticism. Women's sports wasn't created to keep men out. They were created to give women an opportunity, you know, like if right. you look at the world record holders and of the hundred meter dash or this or of that or anything like that. And all of those are, you know, if you if you do it not by gender, then the men are on top of all of that. And so we created the women's stuff so that the women's had an opportunity and to, to 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 do that stuff as well and to compete at the highest level. And so, you know, that wasn't created just to, you know, to to oppress, you know, like certain people. So I think that it, do, you, it doesn't necessarily deserve the same level of skepticism as you would look at something like Jim Crow. So but I, again, I, I think it's very important. And that's the point you, I wanted to make. You is just burst you, my bubble. I was going to hope that being a man could make me a victim and I could see it. But now you're saying I can't. Hey, man. OK, you, as, as we've covered many times, you can always decide to be a victim. <laughs> many people, many people do. Many being for many different reasons. But I want to keep us moving, though. On men. Um, Come on. <laughs> but. Now, what do you think about the American system in this context? You know, and I mentioned earlier how, you know, kind of we have this this liberal approach to a society with a conservative mechanisms of operation just to, to make another one is, is federalism. You know, like states, you know, can can kind of do certain things on their own. And then the, the federal government, do like yeah. we have all these different mechanisms to make it so that it's very difficult to have just sweeping change across the entire nation. You know, so. Do you think that this setup is one that helps tamp down on on some of these concerns of liberalism potentially going too far and becoming persuasion or compulsion as opposed yeah, to just liberalism? I mean, it's interesting, man. I think that definitely our, our nation is an ongoing experiment, and I think it's pretty cool to live through it, right? I mean, I think, you know, everyone's always uh, letting... Unfortunately, they're kind of... The, the, the media ecosystems and all that freak freak them out. But the reality is that I think we've learned in this last kind of period that everything is fluid, right? Nothing, nothing is, is static. And that means rights are fluid in general. Um, the country ebbs and flows, like we said. I mean, think and about good stuff and bad stuff. You know, yeah, like, no, I know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So think about it. The United States today is is the oldest living, sorry, the oldest liberal governing uh, uh, institution in, in the world. Uh, uh, so far, and it's 250 years old. Yeah. So like we've talked in other discussions that um, the majority of human history and human experience has not been in this type of society where from the top, at least the idea of freedom of the individual and freedom of, and, and, and the people have rights 
um, has been has been uh, um, uh, uh, you know uh, something most recognized. Yeah, if you yeah. go back a thousand years or two thousand years or five hundred years or fifteen hundred years or three thousand years, start talking about government of the people by the people and for yeah, the people. Yeah. They had to chop your head off. Well, think about <laughs> it. Think about the idea of something like arranged marriages. I mean, that's so foreign to us in the United States. I mean, I've got a good friend of mine who's um, of Pakistani descent, and I remember when we were in our twenties. Um, his family was trying to get him to marry somebody from the same tribe in the same province of Pakistan, and it was going to be an arranged marriage. Mm -hmm. And it was just interesting as a someone like myself that's not from that culture, just to kind of be like, wow, man, they're trying to force you to do that. Like, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I'm not even interested. I don't even know who this person is. And the fact he lived here in the United States, you know, was 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 uh, was just interesting. And so, but that's I a do cultural think thing as well, though, because if he didn't have exposure to the liberty, so to speak, that in, in that context, individual liberty, then he might not have thought. He might have not. He might have still been very opposed to it, but he might not have thought it in the same way. But once you're exposed to something different like that, then that's something like that. It re it really creates a contrast, you know, of Correct. that, you know, like oh wow, I don't even get to choose blank, you know, that my yeah. spouse, you know, so to speak. Well, and I and I and I kind of was was just thought of a few things like, you know, just thinking about, OK, since 1790, you know, kind of the, the founding of the country, um, kind of how have we evolved? And I thought, yeah, we had a civil war seven years after that, um, you know, which which, you know, if you want to talk about an authoritarian regime, I think slavery is is probably the pinnacle. Right. Yeah, the Confederacy. <laughs> um, yeah. Then you've got women's suffrage 50 years later. Um you know, we, we've got the Native Americans granted citizenship in 1924. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. You know, the, the, the humans that occupied this land prior to Europeans coming uh, were finally, you know, invited to experience the country and, and vote and participate in that way. And then, you know, fast forward to the mid to late 60s, you had the Civil Rights Acts and all that. So, you know, if you look at the long arc of American history, even though, like you said earlier, it's 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 not uh, it, it, it's not unpainful. There haven't been fits and starts, but the arc is bending towards inclusion, right? Yeah. And well, towards what, hey, towards liberty. Yeah. You know, like to, and, towards more liberty. You know, you have more people that more categories of people that can vote. You know, you have more people with with rights. You you've moved equality. You know, to a, a to to more to cover more people. Like it's all stuff that would be considered towards a liberal bent. A liberal again, liberal as in liberalism. Bent. Yeah, and, and and a liberal philosophy, and that's what that's why it's an interesting concept, and that's why one thing I wanted to share is because I find this fascinating. You know, our our laws and and kind of the Constitution and our founding documents um, carried so much from British law and also less talked about Masonic law. You know, uh, Masonic lodges in Middle Age Europe were the first areas of this at this it's attempt equality, right? to bring equality and, yeah. and and a liberal thought which is why they were masonic lodges were threats to the monarchy and the catholic church primarily yeah. and so if you look it, it, at now tell they, me this is true yeah, i mean isn't that yeah. like in the masonic lodge like everybody is on equal footing with each other so to speak in Correct. terms of speaking and you know all that yeah yeah and there's votes and elections. which would have been revolutionary <clears throat> like yeah. three four hundred years a constitution there's there's yeah. there's yeah. elections and things like that so but one of the things why i wanted to share this is because there was a, a, a event called the Glorious Revolution of 1688 in England, and this is when basically the Puritans, Presbyterians, and Quakers teamed up and were calling for religious freedom. And it was basically a civil war within Europe. And so, remember, a hundred years later, our our founders are are writing the documents um, that enshrine this nation. And so, they knew. That's why you talk about separation of religion from the state. 
because they saw this what it did in Europe and all these all these fights and and people wanting to be remember this country first the colonies were um uh really occupied by religious um refugees people yeah. that, that were escaping the persecution religious persecution in Europe so what i found interesting about this period of seven, 1688 uh is the revolution enshrined parliamentary sovereignty and the right of revolution I found that fast as a first time yeah. in human history that a government allowed the people the right to revolt. Think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's which why is, it was, a, which is essential, which is analogous, or you know, it, it's in comparison to like our right to free speech. You know, correct. people confuse all the time, thinking it's about oh, I can say what I want and not get fired from my job, or I can say like no, 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 the government won't lock you up for, <laughs> for and, saying and freedom stuff. of assembly and freedom yeah. to redress your government with grievances. Yep. I mean, that's all First Amendment, all stuff. in the First Amendment. And I think so. That's but I think that I, th I think it's very interesting how the American system kind of wedded several concepts together, yeah. um, you know, from it's really the, a beautiful thing. Honestly, yeah, it, it, it's, it's like, how do you organize people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I look at how our liberal system has organically, in a sense, problem solved its way to certain social contracts, you know, whether it be education, edu public education is socialist, you know, and that's something that, you know, in the 1800s, you know, it was like, hey, we kind of need to do this, you know, if we want to have our, we want to continue to grow our nation. Public police, public fire departments, those are all socialist things that we, and, and our individual liberty have collectively decided that we want that stuff. You know, and, you know, it's all so it's very interesting to me how we and then again, I talk, mentioned earlier about the social safety nets and stuff. All of these things where our society is, is or our, our, our setup is one that we're able to re respond and react to challenges to create things within the context of our government to, you know, give up some of our individual liberty so that we can have, so we can, in, in those cases, a bargain for it. The, the, the ultimate bargain is always, you know, you weigh one side or the other is liberty versus security, you know? And then we talked, we heard about all that, you know, post 9-11 world is that how much liberty do you give up in order to have a little more security and so forth? And there's many a warnings, you know, that people all the way back to Benjamin Franklin talk about, you know, as far as liberty versus security and so forth. And, but all of those places are areas where our system has been able to adapt through the exercise of individual liberty to, in some ways, restrict. Ideally, it's done without manipulation and all that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, when we had the Great Depression, it's like, all right, we need a social safety net. You know, so we put yeah. that in place. You know, and you know, when you had the wild, wild west and all that, you people decide, hey, we need we need a sheriff or we need, you know, all that kind of stuff. So all of these things that are socialist constructs that wouldn't exist in a pure extremist type of thing, liberalism kind of standpoint. That we've put in. So I, I think the system, I, I'm impressed with the system and that it has that adaptability. And then, as you pointed out earlier, all of the movement that's happened from a societal standpoint from 1792 or 1790, you know, going back to 1792, 1793 versus, you know, 2022 versus 2023. And it's still fluid. It's not like one thing we always keep in mind is that it doesn't, you don't just put your feet up and it's done. You know, there's always forces pulling things in a liberal way or an illiberal way, and they may or may not come from where you think they're coming from. Sometimes it is yeah. what you think, but sometimes it isn't, you know. So, but it, well, again, it's something that we got to know what it is and we got to be able to, 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 to act to preserve it, at least the ethos, you know, because again, it does, we can decide collectively that we want to, hey, we'll give up a little bit here, you know, because ultimately we have this greater good that we're trying to either pr protect or this greater bad that we're trying to prevent. So, yeah. You know, but I, I do think we can move to our second topic from here. 
you know, today is Juneteenth, you know, a, a recently uh, knighted federal holiday in the United States, which, you know, celebrates the 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 end, the end end of slavery and the freeing of the last uh, slaves. And uh, we wanted to have a conversation today uh, that, that just a brief conversation, you know, in, in observance of Juneteenth, just on whether the concept of black history in itself, in light of America's history, you know, with slavery, with Jim Crow, you know, and all these different things, all the massacres and riots, you know, that, that to kill, kill black people and all this kind of stuff. Because we see so often people who profess to be anti-woke going after the teaching of black history, you know? And so is, is it something they, people might say, you know, Ron DeSantis, for example, says, oh, I'm not against black history. I'm, you know, but he tends to, to try to take black history <laughs> or, or prevent black history from being taught. And so it, we, we just wanted, you know, this should be something that is clear, you know, is black history itself just, you know, by default. Is is Black History something that is woke? What do you think, Tunde? Um, I don't know. I think I, I'd say this to 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 answer you directly that I would think the word woke uh, on purpose is a catch-all phrase that is on purpose ambiguous, so that the person who is blaming others for behaving that way can can avoid being called and labeled, you know, whether racist, um, bigoted xenophobic whatever it is so i just think it's kind of like we just discussed in the first part that the word liberal or liberalism has become kind of a catch-all in american culture just like communist was in the 60s right so i think that the the idea that um because remember they used to call people that wanted integration communists yeah you know you deviated from the idea of a economic philosophy which what communism is just that because you want something i don't like therefore i label you this and I think that's what is, is, it, it essentially becomes a sy symbol of disapproval. You know, like Correct, yeah. I don't like this, so I'll just use whatever term people that yeah. I know it's and a, I and like. It's a are signal, using right? What do you call it? A yeah. dog whistle, so that yeah. people that are saying it, you know, can you know other people it's, listening to other can know people that, that, that follow the same kind of mindset. That's like, why it's hey, a I'm signaling I don't like it. So, but no, but speaking more, um, it's interesting, man, just with all the stuff we've talked about in our show over the years, and just the kind of knowledge we have of history, and even. What we just talked about in the first section of today's show about just how much America's changed in the last 200 years. Um, that's why I, I kind of look at this stuff and it's it's offensive, obviously. Um, and it just it's 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 gonna be another failed endeavor. Um, and it, again, it, this is what I, I what I find amusing is that someone who says that he's about freedom and bringing freedom to, I guess, the governed people of his state, which are you and I, because we live here. Um, is banning books and trying to, and basically it's such projection. He says he doesn't want his kids uh, or Florida kids in school being indoctrinated with certain information, but yet by withholding this information, you're it allowing goes out it continued, of his way goes out of yeah, his way to and, and, control the information that yeah the, you're, you're 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 continuing an indoctrination that we've seen since the southern the lost cause you know over the last 150 years or so, and so. You know, I, I'll read one to me that stuck out to me is this like purposefully um, because it's one thing, you know, oh, you know, we this can be controversial or that can be. But I'll quote the article here. DeSantis also cut 200,000 in funding for Florida's Black Music Legacy, a project designed to highlight the state's contributions to black music. Like, I'm just thinking, like. Who's offended by that? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's because the way I look at it is I don't know if. Florida had a big influence on maybe genres like the blues or jazz or country music. But that'd be cool to know. I'm a Floridian. I'd like to know that. 
Um, and so who gets offended by this information? And the other thing is, and I'll pass it back here, is this has nothing to do with the budget because um, we actually are in a surplus and we have a $115 billion state budget that was unanimously decided and, and, and approved by you know both parties. And we're talking about cuts here like this, several hundreds of thousands of dollars and you know a few million here and there, which again, isn't a huge part of the Florida budget, but they do have an impact at the ground level of uh, um, not helping to support um, the teaching of this American history. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, for sure. And the, the, you quote the article. The article we're talking about is is a piece from News One, which uh, talks about some funding cuts that uh, DeSantis made over top of, you know, basically uh, striking out unanimously decided stuff by the Florida legislature, which was interesting. You know, this stuff that the legislature decided was all good. Um, a legislature that, you know, is a very uh, right leaning legislature and controlled by Republicans. But uh, to me, it really the answer to the question of whether black history in itself is, quote unquote, woke. It really depends on and this is implicit in what you said, but it depends on how you define woke. you know, if if woke is something that makes whites or white males or, you know, whoever, you know, your your your, your sample is uh, who don't want to think that white Americans ever did anything wrong, uncomfortable, then, yes, black history in many respects would be woke. And I think that presents an issue, you know, because essentially, if you go, if you continue down an anti-woke, quote unquote, uh, approach or take that approach and continue going down that pathway, ultimately, you have to be against like, I don't know, you, you can't allow someone to learn about Rosewood or you can't allow people to learn about Tulsa. You can't allow people to learn about that stuff because it will make you uncomfortable. And if since it makes you uncomfortable, if you're that person that that hearing that someone, you know, a white person in the past did something wrong. You're going to have to be you're going to have to come out against that stuff. But that stuff is real history. It's stuff that is a lot of times history is taught so that we can learn lessons from it and, and learn to avoid the negative things or to to strive for things that work really well. And you're going to miss those lessons. You're not going to be able to learn from the past. You're not going to be able to build a future that is knowledgeable about where we went right and where we went wrong in the past and 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 become stronger from that. And so yeah. to me, it's a very it's a such a self-defeating approach. Two things, you know, like there are so many things as an American you could feel good about. But yes, there are some things as American, if you want to focus on, you could feel bad about. And so it says more about you if you choose to focus on the things to, that you would feel bad about, like that the fact that they exist and you may have to hear about it doesn't mean that that needs to be your focus necessarily. So to me, I, I kind of see through it, man. I, I see this, the, the anti-woke stuff essentially as anti-empathy stuff. Like, I don't want you, if, if someone who's anti-woke doesn't want themselves or other people to be able to put themselves in anybody else's shoes. Yeah. Because you know, that's well, the only thing you can really get to is like, I don't want, I want you to only be able to look at things through your, through the perspective that you have and never be able to look at things through a perspective that's broader than your own. Because you can only look at things through a perspective that's broader than your own by learning about things, you know, that, that happen to other people, you know, so to speak. Well, then, I mean, as you're saying it, I think, oh, wow, that sounds pretty authoritarian, right? Like, don't, <laughs> don't look over there. You can't know this. You you're not allowed to look over there. In fact, yeah, you're only, let me rip that very, page out of the book. Yeah. And so, and so, but it's, it's fascinating. That's why it's fascinating to live through this because, you know, you and I weren't alive in the last kind of cultural war of the 60s. So this is the first time that in our lifetime that we've lived under uh, an elected official that has actively um sought to attack information about our group you know that that is factual and that's again 
part of the fabric of this country's history. And to, to your point, I would say this, it's, it's, it's a kind of a childish and immature uh, actual mindset. Um, and like you're saying of lacking empathy and all that, but I'll go a step further and say, you know, it's just like being an ostrich and putting your head in the sand. This would be like, if as black American people, we decided that we just wouldn't take in any information that involved, you know, sub-Saharan Africans being a part of the slave trade, right? Like we just wouldn't believe it at all. Like somehow these Europeans walked a hundred miles into inland and got a bunch of slaves and left. You, we would be. And by the way, there are some blacks that are made uncomfortable about that. Yeah, you know, like yeah, there are. But you, but know, you know but, what? The reality the people is, people who want real history to be taught yeah. have to say, no, no, this has to be learned. You know, black people, and, you need to know this. And that's the bigger take here is people that want real history because once you start looking through all human history, every group has had its moment of being on top, and at the and every group has the same group has been at the bottom. I mean, there's great historic facts about the, um, I think through the 10th century through the 13th century, 1.2 million Europeans were trafficked to the Middle East as slaves. So, I mean, this this stuff has been going on a long time, but we take it so personal in our culture. And so, again, what, I, what I'll say as I'll end this is when I see behavior like this from someone like Governor DeSantis and then he's allowed to get away with it, I'm asking myself, well, who is he performing to? How many Americans or how many Floridians at this point? I know he's running for president, so I say Americans, but at this point, Floridians um, really find this great. And why should certain facts of history, like you said, the Rosewood massacre and those things be excluded? Because well, yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah, he, it, there's no concern, obviously, for Native Americans feeling correct. bad yeah. about their past, you know, that that's taught in the books as Great well. Point. So, I mean, I, I don't I, I didn't, you know, like from that standpoint, only thing I'll say is I think it's dangerous to assume that he is performing for anyone. I think we should begin to see that this is just who he is. This is what he stands for. You know, this is a person that yeah, no, I totally wants believe to, to ban books. You know, this is a person that, and we can look at historical examples of, of politicians or leaders that wanted to do the kinds of things that he's doing. And we can see the direction that people like that like to go. But we got to stop looking at it like, oh, he doesn't really think this stuff. He's just doing it because he thinks some other people no, are no, going to like it. I think like, he's a true believer. I agree. He's, he's a person. Like, I whether think he's, he's performing for somebody, though. He thinks but he, no, he, he could just be doing what he thinks is right. And this is and this is what makes him dangerous in that sense. And it, the fact that people won't think that he's actually he's just playing a hand or he's just playing politics makes it dangerous because they'll excuse these things. When he shows you that he's anti-business by attacking retaliating against Disney and wasting the state's money to do so then you got to believe it when he shows you that he is against freedom of speech that he's against things that involve that he's he wants to put a muzzle on society you got to believe him you know you got to believe that that's who he is and not try to see not try to project onto him oh he's just doing this for politics but i think we can close this up from here man um it's something though as as our as our society like ultimately the point that i think should not be overlooked here is that I think we can end up in a situation that DeSantis, Ron DeSantis would try to ban the teaching of Juneteenth, <laughs> which is the federal holiday yeah. one today. <laughs> so he's going to start banning federal holidays, you know? So ultimately, because if, 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 well, why is that an important date? And then you start getting all these questions that clearly he thinks needs to be muzzled in our society and should not be able to be talked about. Educators should not be able to talk about. So that that's who he is. And we need to believe him when he shows us that. So, but yeah, we appreciate everybody for joining us on this episode of Call Like I See It. Subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review us, tell us what you think, send it to a friend. Until next time, I'm James Keys. I'm Tunde Alamana. All right, and we'll talk to you next time.